Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Game of Love podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Smith, and today I have a very special guest with me. He is the producer of the movie The Portal, author of six books, <laughs> speaker, coach, meditation master, Tom Cronin. Thank you for being here, Tom. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. I felt like I got winded saying all of your accolades and it is very, very impressive. All of the beautiful work you do in the world. So thank you for making time for being on the Game of Love today. Yeah, it's great. It's great to be here and great to have an opportunity to, to share what I do and to riff about all things consciousness, relationships, whatever we're, we're going to cover today. So looking forward to it. Well, let's cover all of it, shall we? Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) To let the audience know why I brought you on today, it was a a lot of reasons. One, I heard you on the Evan Flow podcast with Evan Brighton, and I was just so enthralled with that conversation. And I loved hearing you talk about spirituality and talking about the the meditation that you teach and yoga philosophy. I left you a message on Instagram saying like you had me as the the yugas. And I love that you you and I speak a similar language. I want to have you on to talk about all of that goodness and to talk about love and relationships because you have been married for how long? Been together for 30 years, uh, married for, gosh, I should know this, shouldn't I? Uh, I would suggest 30, 22 years, 22 years. <laughs> Great. 22 years. So I'm really excited to hear your secrets. I feel like you are, you know, like I was saying, the meditation master, you're like the marriage master. So I'm excited to hear your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to dive into them now? Yes, we can dive yeah. into them now. I want Let's to hear it. Hey, that yes. uh, sounds great. Well, look, you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, I think the first thing is to acknowledge that it's not going to be perfect mm-hmm. and, you know, to, to let go of it needing to be perfect, to let go of it needing to be the core central part of your life. You know, there's so many people living this sort of princess and prince ideology around what that relationship is. And I think what we tend to do is we put so many eggs in that one basket and have so many expectations about what that relationship should be providing to you Mm. as opposed to what you bring to that relationship. You know, relationship is a container. A lot of people see it as their source of fulfilment or their source of identity. And I think one of the things that really has enabled um, my partner and I to sustain longevity is that we both have a very deep commitment to our own individual personal awakening process and our own evolution. And it's by no means has it been perfect because you, how are you going to get perfection when you have first and foremost polarities trying to be drawn together that are so polar opposite that there's a natural repulsion that happens there. It's, it's the most crazy juxtaposition in the, this sort of model of relationships that we've got the masculine and the feminine seeking attraction because they're not complete. And that's why the yin and the yang symbol is the yin and the yang finding wholeness in the merging together of masculine and feminine. And there's this natural inclination within us for seeking wholeness by finding a union with the polarity. The irony in that is that the the natural inclination to find wholeness in the union of masculine and feminine, yet the masculine and feminine being polarized to the complete opposite to each other. And there's almost like this weird repulsion. It's like, I don't understand you. I don't get you. You talk differently to me. You think differently to me. You cut onions differently to me. Like, it's just like, how are we supposed to come together and share a space when we're completely different, yet we feel attraction towards each other? So, it's a fascinating complexity that lies within this relating to the masculine and feminine and bringing those two together. When I say masculine and feminine, I'm talking about the energies of masculine and feminine, but what we have is the natural tendency for a male to have more masculine and a female to have more feminine. That's starting to change quite rapidly, which is really fascinating, and that's causing another layer of complexity where as we become more conscious the male tends to have more balance of masculine and feminine and the female tends to have more balance of uh, masculine and feminine and that loses that magnetic charge. This is an interesting phenomenon that happens as we become more conscious, more awake, more spiritually aware 
is that necessity, that charge of the masculine and feminine needing to be found externally as it starts to be discovered internally, then that magnetism starts to drop away in the outer world, which can be very confusing. It's like, well, I don't need you, but I still really find there's lots of joy and lovingness in being with you. And the initial thing that I remember we going through that is like, are we falling out of love? Are we meant to be together? And it's like, oh, no, we're just losing that insecure neediness that tends to create that magnetic pull for people in the early stages of their relationships. So in short, how do we sustain longevity? I think it's partly potluck. I think it's partly commitment. I think it's to be more meaningful. I think it's about core values. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've both had very challenging times in the relationship many times in 30 years. There's not a relationship out there that hasn't gone through difficult times. Mm-hmm. All sorts of screw-ups and mess-ups and mistakes on both sides of the equation. One of the things that I think I would put down to us being together to this day is that our set of values of valuing being together greater than not being together. And one of the things that I find interesting in uh, Esther Perez's work, it's Esther Perel, I think it is, who's a great relationship and sex coach. She says that, you know, in in, uh, in certain cultures, the, the, the value of staying together in the relationship and keeping the family unit together or the relationship together supersedes uh, other values and other uh, preferences, whereas in, and that's more so in European cultures, whereas in sort of Western or more American culture, they can throw the baby out with the bathwater very quickly yeah. and that relationship, there's, you know, will, will deteriorate quite easily and quite rapidly at the smallest faux pas or mistake. Oof, you are so right. You covered so much goodness. Yeah, gosh, that was a lot. That was a that lot. was so good. And you know, starting from the top and just speaking to that nobody's perfect. That's something, you know, most of my audience are single and they're looking for love. And, you know, they they come to me as their coach with their list of this is the the list of my perfect partner. And <laughs> tick boxes, right? They've all got these tick boxes. <laughs> all the boxes. And really the lists are all very similar. And you know, they they forget sometimes that uh they're not perfect but nobody's perfect in this world and the relationships aren't perfect. And so there's, there's always going to be issues. And I, I always tell them it's everybody has shit. I have shit. You have shit. Everybody has shit. It's whose do we want to put up with and whose can we put up with? You know, there's sometimes we don't want to put up with that. And there's sometimes we just can't, we just don't know how. And I, I think you're so right when you go into a relationship and you're like, okay, I know this, this is not going to be perfect and that's okay. And when I love that you and your partner are evolved and conscious and your, your own sovereign entities. And when you're like, okay, I'm committed to taking care of myself and looking out for you and our relationship. And our relationship is, you know, what we invest in together and, you know, we're, we're on the same team. I think that's what a lot of people kind of forget in relationships is it's when there is that strong polarity and there is maybe some strife and, and, and challenges that it's like, we're against each other. And it's like, no, 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 no. We are on the same team. (laughs) We are in this together. We're going to work on this together. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I think a lot of people underestimate the the capacity for a couple to evolve together. Mm. This is really what enables longevity and sustains longevity is you only, you know, my wife and I, when we first met, you know, she was 20, I was 22. We had no spiritual practices, were certainly not awake in any sense of the word. We were very riddled with lots of challenges and personal issues and things like that. And, you know, we, we both liked movies. We both liked bushwalking. And we both were, had some degree of intelligence where we could have a conversation together. So that enabled enough to let's catch up again next week, mm. you know, and let's catch up again next week. And we didn't kick the can. Is this the person I would see myself spending the rest of my life with? 
And it's very difficult to get that vision because you don't know how much you're going to evolve and grow and change and hopefully do some of that together. And there's there's not enough allowance, I think, these days to be in the journey together and see where it can go and what you can morph into as a result of being together and inspiring each other different qualities and things that you both bring to the equation. You know, I started meditating before my wife, but she brought other things into that evolutionary journey of ours and we both contribute into this container which we call the relationship and, you know, some of those things are relevant and some of them we choose just to not be part of, you know, maybe it's something that she's doing that might not be something that I want to do or something I do that she, you know, she, I was really into the raves and the nightclubs and the partying in the early years and it just was no interest to her. And so that was my thing that I would do with my friends and my mates and you don't have to do everything together and some things you can leave out and that's okay as well. I love that. It's co-creating a relationship and taking it nice and slow and having it evolve and being committed to the evolution of it. And, and again, going back to that client want list, you know, they, a lot of people have this idea of what they want their relationship to be like, which is beautiful. It's great to have that intention and, and that roadmap. So you know where you'd like to go. And I think it's important to incorporate what you said. You're co-creating something. And, and as you get to know someone, and then as you are growing with them, you, you really have to, you know, ebb and flow with everything and be in the, in the present and be wherever you are in that relationship and, and honor that and, and create it. And I think that's, I think that's really exciting. Mm. Yeah. And also there's a, there's a big dependency on you being the one that's the key component to their evolution. Let go of that egoic need and the need for, 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 for you to be the center of their life, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you to be part of their life and to allow them to have the fullness of their life so that they can grow and expand in all areas of their life and to share that expansion, that growth with you, but lose that kind of neediness for it have to be centered around you. And that my wife has many people contributing to her evolution and I'm part of that, which is an honor and a gift, but it doesn't have to all be me. That's the key player. You know, there's sometimes we kind of have these insecurities and compromise our partner's growth because we feel it needs to be about centered around us. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on the relationship, which doesn't need to be there. Ooh, so much so. And one of my favorite things that I learned in the, my journey of spirituality is being equanimous and being, you know, cool, calm and collected and being my own person and not having that reactivity and that codependency that I need someone outside of me. And I think to your point, it is such a gift and it's vital for a healthy relationship to, to be your own person and, and, you know, be self-sufficient. So then you're healthy you're good. And then you can really be with that person and be present, honor them, celebrate them, inspire them. I feel like having that solid foundation, everything just blossoms from that point. Yeah. I think one of the best things we can do for longevity in our relationships is to meditate. And there's something really fascinating when couples meditate. Firstly, it diffuses the emotional charge that might be arising through some past experience or some current experience that you're going through. When you meditate, you transcend emotion, you transcend thinking, you transcend disconnect, and you connect to the subtle plane, the plane of spirit, which is unifying. And so it's unifying and it's equanimous so that it's not, I'm in this mood, you're in that mood. There's an incredible unity that happens. There's another thing that happens when we meditate regularly as couples, and it doesn't have to be that you meditate together. It just means that meditation is part of your own individual lives and that you you tend to let go very quickly of past experiences that you're attached to that are affecting you. Mm. And it kind of blows me away as much as my wife at times when I used to be a bit of a sulky guy, you know, that had guys that kind of get a bit sulky and they kind of hold on to grudges and it's like we're not talking for three days. I'm going to, you know so mature, right? But when you meditate, it's just like, 
oh, let's just be in the moment. And next thing, you know, we can have a disagreement about something. It doesn't mean we're perfect. We still have disagreements and different viewpoints on things or things that we kind of might not see eye to eye on. But interestingly, you know, I'll come into the kitchen and next thing my wife's bouncing around singing. It's like, wow, you know, years ago, pre-meditating in our relationship, you know, we'd have grudgy, not talking, cooking, you know, issues and whatever, you know, and it, and it can deteriorate your relationship for a long time. Whereas when you meditate, you can clear that quite quickly and just be back into presence and presence is heart centered. It's open. And what am I choosing with my sovereignty in a sovereign state? What am I choosing to experience here? Do I want to choose love or do I want to choose grudge? Do I want to choose, you know, suffering? And so it gives you greater capacity to be autonomous and sovereign in your relationship. And that's very empowering for you as a couple. It really is. Something that I, I love about yoga and, and meditating is that is is the gap between a situation and an event and our reaction to it. And I don't know about you, but back in the day before I started meditating and doing yoga, I had kind of a short fuse. <laughs> and I would react right away. And I realized later after meditating and, and doing yoga and all that good stuff is that gap became bigger. And so I wouldn't react as much. And, you know, I, I love that, that beautiful scenario that you talked about with the meditating and how it dissolved the emotional charges with you and your partner. That is so powerful. Cause I think people in relationships, you know, you probably hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. You know, marriage is so hard and relationships are hard. And, and I think a lot of that that hardness, the difficulty can be resolved through that mindfulness, through meditation, because those it, there's really, for lack of a better word, there's this magic that happens, that there's this dissolving of conflict. And, you know, sometimes before we meditate and we're like, oh, I don't know what to do with this situation. I'm really upset about it and I can't make sense of it. And, oh, there's this struggle, you know, you you do a spiritual practice and it just seems to kind of work itself out a lot of the time. Yeah, it just melts. It's this interesting dissolving that just happens. And the ego wants to hold on to that. The ego likes the charge. The ego wants to win. The ego needs to have the upper hand because the ego is very unsure of itself. And the ego finds its identity through success, through winning, through being recognized and through accolade, through recognition, but spirit doesn't need that. Divinity doesn't need that. And if we start to transcend those egoic structures that are causing so much turmoil in our lives and just start to connect on a subtler plane, our divine nature, we'll find that there's this under, underlying uh, unconditional lovingness and kindness. Now, it doesn't mean we're just a walk in the park and people can do whatever they want. But what it does do is that it allows us to, A, create that gap, as you say, to, to just stop being an ego that just reacts and needs to win or needs to respond. It allows it to just pause, reflect, what is the best outcome here? Mm. Do I need to win the, the do I need to win the argument so that I, I can crush that person and have the upper hand? Or do I need to have resolution so there's a greater experience of harmony and lovingness? Mm. And if we put that at the key motivating factor behind our relationships rather than the ego needing to win and be right, then what we'll find is a greater sense of cohesiveness and union happening between these two polarities. And, you know, I've got a, a good friend of mine that they've just gone through divorce. And I spent many years sitting at dinners with them, you know, that, that person having a great challenge in the relationship. And there, there was actually no real issue with the relationship. Underlying everything was this beautiful sense of loving and respect and, and union at a very subtle level with the, those two people. Um, and they had children. But on a surface level, there was just very stressed and very extreme accentuated egos mm -hmm. that were constantly in conflict. And if and they weren't open to meditating, unfortunately, um, they spent many years in therapy and discussions and arguments and debates, which is all on the level of conflict and separation and disunity. But if they could just subtly get into those quieter moments and open up their hearts, they would have found that there was a rich lovingness there. And I'm sure their relationship could have sustained that um, the challenges that it went through. Mm. Well, watching your movie, The Portal, last night, so beautiful. 
Okay. You and your team did an incredible job on it. It is, it's powerful, it's beautiful, it's breathtaking. And so thank you for creating it. There was a part in there that I can't remember the person, but there was talk about unconditional love. And they were saying that unconditional love is not accepting or being um, good with or allowing bad behavior or things that aren't healthy or, you know, all that. It's really about loving the person for who they are. And I feel like in relationships, a lot of people come into a relationship, especially Western relationships, and they'll like some things, but not other things. And so they're like, ooh, okay, if we can just work on this part of this person, we'll be okay. (laughs) And really incorporating that unconditional love and just be able to look at a person and say, this is who they are in their totality, the, the goods and the not so goods. And I'm just going to be with this person, love this person and the not so good stuff. We're just going to work through. So that right now, Tom, is my definition of unconditional love within a relationship. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's fascinating when we delve, delve deeper and deeper into this. You know, if we believe in an omnipresent divinity or God or source, whatever you want to call it, and then if we believe that that source or God or divinity has an innate quality to be unconditionally loving and kind, then if it's omnipresent, then it would imply that at our subtlest level, we are that, and that's our subtlest quality as well. Mm-hmm. And this is the way I see myself and, and life, is that I see divinity as unconditionally loving, that life is unconditionally loving. There's this beautiful innate intelligence that's guiding and nurturing us from this maternal quality of moving us towards love and kindness and connection and cohesiveness. It doesn't seem that way at the moment because the world's not connecting to that subtle aspect of that reality. So we can see conflict and disunity and discord and disease. But that's just because of the disconnect to the subtlest aspect of who we are, which is unconditionally loving kindness. Yet I know as a parent, I'm unconditionally loving and kind to my children. There's no question about it. I absolutely love them so recklessly. and my, I've got two 19-year-old children. They're twins, a boy and a girl, Taj and Lauren. And there's just so much love for these kids. Now, I know that my innate qualities are unconditional loving kindness. However, that doesn't mean that I'm always a nice dad. Because sometimes <laughs> I'm actually not a nice dad. And sometimes I have to create a boundary and I say, look, that particular behaviour isn't appropriate. And I'm coming from a place of knowingness because I've walked this path. Now I'm going to instill some karmic consequences there will be some some things that have to be uh you know installed here in this situation to support you to help you grow and this is coming from and I, whenever there was some discipline that had to be enforced it was always communicated very openly that this is coming from such love okay now you're not having your phone for a week and you're not allowed out for a week now this is i, I want you to know that this is coming because I love you so much. And that, that's literally how I would communicate it when I'd sit down on their bed and I would say this. And they knew that it wasn't coming because they were bad or that I was trying to be mean to them. Mm-hmm. It's because I love them and I was supporting them. And so what happens then is it's so openly embraced. It's like, cool, okay, here's my phone. I get it. Yeah. I get it. And, and, I, and I respect and love you for what you're giving me. Now, I'm an embodiment as best as I can be for that eternal source of unconditional lovingness which is divinity moving through me and so therefore the universe also has the same capability to be unconditionally loving and kind but not always nice and we can do this in our relationships not just with our children but in our partners my wife has been the greatest teacher in my life because there's certain things that she's kind of like being the sandpaper and the rasp or the file that's been polishing over many years the, the, the irrelevance of Tom, the personality, the mm. certain qualities and characteristics, not qualities, the characteristics of Tom, either the, whether they were genetic, coded, conditioned, or just me being a dickhead, that she would file off over the years by saying, hey, I, I'm happy to live with you, but that, I can't, that doesn't, I can't coexist with you with that certain trait or characteristic. Mm-hmm. And so at that point I'm given this, opportunity to weigh up do I live with this person which I put as a very high preference and priority 
or do I supersede living with that person and have these dickhead qualities still exist in my life? Mm. And so then I'm like, okay, well, maybe I can just start to address these issues of mine that I haven't really been addressing and I've been sort of sweeping under the carpet. Maybe I need to address them so that I can place the value of the relationship as a higher preference and higher uh, priority. Mm. That is beautiful and that is so powerful. And it it reminds me really of, of yoga philosophy and how our partner is our guru and how they shine the light on our darkness. And yeah, you know, that is is not always an easy thing to do. <laughs> and it's totally yeah. It's 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 challenging to you know, allow someone to, you know, be the sandpaper and, you know, file away the stuff that we don't need. And that's what, you know, the richness with, with partnership and relationship is. And Tom, it cracks me up when I think about, um, Krishnamacharya, the the story of him, and and chime in if I start telling the story wrong, at how he goes to Mount Kailash to be with his master, and he's studying meditation and yoga, and he's he's there for years on the mountain. And when he it was time for him to leave, he goes to his master and says, "How can I repay you? Thank you for everything. How can I repay you?" And he says, "Go back home, get married, have some children." and teach. And he's like, no, <laughs> anything but that, anything but marriage and kids and like, no, why, why? And I'm sure it was not that dramatic, <laughs> but how oh, he, he was not happy with what his master had asked him to do. And his master told him, listen, to be a householder is one of the hardest, the hardest things to do And it's also a beautiful, powerful path to enlightenment. Yeah, absolutely. I remember we were doing uh, some advanced teacher training for my meditation program. And one of the things that we were covering was this Sanskrit word tapas. Uh, It's pronounced tapas, but it's spelled T-A-P-A-S-Y-A. So there's an A, a Y, and an A on the end. So tapasya would be how it would be supposedly pronounced. Now, tapas is the, the surrender of preferences and a it's, it's a, a willingness to do like penance uh, or Lent for Catholics is tapas. It's, it's a willingness to give up some pleasure to get closer to God, have a more spiritual awakened experience. So Yom Kippur or Ramadan, these are spiritual traditions where or religious traditions where people would forego pleasure to devote that to God. And we were talking about um, some Indian monks would uh, hold their arm in the air their entire life. So you can go to Google and search monk with arm in the air for life. And so their arm will be sort of just bone. It will be kind of worn out and there'll be very little sort of flesh on it. And they literally have spent their entire life. And it's, it's to, to remind them of their connection to God or there are monks that will stand on one leg their entire life, literally their entire life. And you can find these people doing extreme tapas to be close to God. And I remember saying to my teachers, like, oh, my goodness, like, that's just crazy. I couldn't get my head around it. It's like, that's just crazy. Who would do that? And they said, for these people, that's a much easier tapas than getting married and having children. (laughs) And I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Because for them, the idea of, like, you mean live with someone else and have arguments and issues and change babies nappies and breastfeeding at three in the morning and it's like there is like no way in hell I'm going to do that I'll just put my arm up for my entire lifetime that's much easier (laughs) I really feel that yeah totally right (laughs) when you think of like a lifetime of marriage with kids it's like yeah actually maybe I should have just put the arm up in the air that would have been a lot easier (laughs) yes 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 Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I think some people are listening right now going, you know what? I think that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so funny. Oh, I love that. So another um another thing that struck me from your movie that I, I would love to talk to you about and kind of co-create something with you. So a line from your movie, I'm gonna I'm gonna read it here. One of the gentlemen in the movie said, what would it be like if we had a conscious planet? And 
I was moved by that thought alone. And then to take it in a little bit different direction, what would, sorry, what would relationships be like on a conscious planet? So I would, I would love to co-create in this moment the idea or the vision of conscious relationships on a conscious planet. Hmm. It's, it's, it's a phenomenal question. And Daniel Schmachtenberger was the one that uh, invited us to, to contemplate that. And he actually, when we were doing the pre-interview with him off air before the cameras were rolling, he I think it was after the interview, he, he said to Jackie, the director and myself, he said, look, I, I would like to propose to you and invite you to invite your audience in any time you get to share anything with the audience, and that could be on a podcast like this, to invite them to start contemplating, and it's amazing that you brought this up, to invite them to start contemplating what life is like for them mm-hmm. and for the planet on an enlightened or a conscious planet. And so here you are with that question and the invitation for me and for the audience to start considering that because he said there's no one currently on the planet as a body or an organisation that are mapping that out. There's no one who are starting to design that or consider that. And so because we don't have a collective organisation or group of people mapping that out or considering that, we don't have a North Star of what that looks like or where to go or how to get there. He says, however, if we can start to invite individuals to think, what do I look like in a conscious planet? What do I look like as an enlightened human being or a conscious human being? And what do my relationships look like? What does my business look like? Then we start to develop a North Star and a roadmap of where we're going and how we're going to get there. So I love this question of yours. And the the answer would be, um, for me, because it's subjective, of course, from my own personal opinion, it would look like the ability first and foremost, to acknowledge differences, to transcend those differences and find at a subtler level unity and harmony. And we've got that through race, through sex, through culture, through religion, through politics, the ability to transcend this surface layer of seeming separation, to start to connect at a subtle level and find unity there. And what you start to find is as you get into the, and this is where meditation plays a big part and why we focused on that in the film, because meditation actually by default does connect you at that certain level to things. So what you'll find as a meditator, particularly as a longer-term meditator, I'm sure you've had this experience yourself, is that you feel love for sparrows. You feel love for trees. I've, I've been sitting in a park once with this, and I was watching this tree, it's like, this is insane. I'm absolutely falling hopelessly in love with this tree right now. Um, because I wasn't seeing it as a tree and its growth level. I was seeing it as this relationship that I'm having with this tree, that it's feeding me oxygen. It's consuming my carbon dioxide. There's a symbiotic relationship that we're having here and it's playing an integral role in my own existence. The sun, you know, there's been times when I've been in tears mm. with this relationship with Surya, you know, as you as a, you being involved in yoga, you know, Surya Namaskar is this deep devotion, acknowledgement of the sun's relationship with you and the sustainability of life because of its existence so relationships isn't about man and woman it's not about human and human it's about being in love and experiencing a lovingness with all forms and phenomenon Mm -hmm. and that that's what life will be like on an enlightened planet on a conscious planet where we're, we're connecting at a deeper level and we're transcending these seemingly different boundaries that create conflict and separation that's it. That's yeah, it. It's simple, right? It's one on one, like in line planet, right? Ooh, it, that was so powerful. I, oh, I was really moved by that. Thank you for sharing that. When we have that, I feel like everything else just kind of dissolves and and goes away, and it's not a big deal anymore. You know, all the like the petty arguments or you know, whatever it is, the small stuff and the big stuff, it it goes away when you have that unity and you really see the other person, you know, for the the beautiful soul that they are. And um, I'm sure on a conscious planet, there'll probably still be a little, you know, conversations to be had. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. There won't be perfect world. Uh, The gross world of physical form and phenomenon um, it will always have imperfection in it. That's the, that's the innate characteristic of it. It's the subtle plane that has perfection in which is divinity or God or source. And so acknowledging the imperfection is important, but finding unity through that imperfection and a way to 
navigate that complexity is, is just it, it just allows us to have greater capacity to to have less conflict and less suffering and i love that you brought in the the planet and nature you know i think part of our evolution when it comes to relationships is to be able to for lack of a better term practice on other things outside of a relationship. And so if we are out in nature, if we're out of the park and we are falling in love with trees or uh, we have gorgeous lilacs that are out right now and you know, to be able to stop and smell and just appreciate everything and really get that practice uh, to have a relationship, you know, bringing those components into our relationship to be able to look at our partner if it's a, if it's a, you know, bumble date, you know, like a, a first date or a 5,000 date with a, a long-term partner that you can look at them in this reverence and this wonderment and like, wow, look at you. You are all of these things and really appreciate. And so I love that you bring in nature and, and, and two, something that I'm a big proponent of, and I, I talk about a lot is is unconditionally loving ourselves. And, you know, a lot of us are um, a terrible judge of ourselves and we're way too hard on ourselves. And when we are with ourselves and we're able to embrace ourselves for all that we are, that too helps to mold how we show up in relationships because then we're not as, as judgy and then we're a little more compassionate and, you know, it just, it seems to, you know, as we expand, one of my expressions this year, one of my mottos is expand in my ability to love. And whether that be in nature, within myself, in a, in a partnership, a friendship, that that's, that's where I'm at currently, Tom, is expanding mm. in my ability to love. <laughs> I love that. It's so beautiful because, you know, it, it takes away that neediness around, which is what most of our relationships are built on and why most relationships fail is because I'm coming from a place of lack. Mm. I don't have the experience of love right now. I'm going to go and find someone that can hopefully love me and provide me with something that I don't currently have. Now, what happens is that we get this illusion happening where we, 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 we meet someone that makes us feel love. And so now we get the sense and dependency on that person to be the source of our, our lovingness. And so now we have this huge amounts of fear built into the relationship because if they're not there, then I'm going to lose my sense of lovingness. And so therefore, uh, you know, it becomes codependent and is built on, on neediness. And then if we lose them, then we listen to Mariah Carey songs, How I Can Never Live Without You, or is that Michael Bolden? I can't remember which one. One of them sang a soppy love song about not being able to live without them. Um, and so we've got this gone back to lack again because we haven't, identified with our own innate lovingness and so I love what you're saying there it, it frees us of this codependency and neediness and it takes all the pressure off the the relationship to being some source of uh something that we haven't got that we need to get and one thing that was something that shifted for me dramatically was this idea of love making you know we we think of lovemaking is two bodies pressing up against each other and hopefully giving us a sensation that kind of makes us feel pretty good. However, as we start to access more subtle planes through our practice and our spiritual awareness, we start to experience lovemaking as a dynamic that happens at all times. Like at the moment, there's this, uh, this rain starting to fall and it's just bumping up against the window pane. You know that sound of rain on a window pane? Oh, it's yeah. so special, right? It's, 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 it's this beautiful thing. And and so I can see the raindrops dropping down the window and then the sound of it sort of falling on the pane. That's lovemaking. Mm. Lovemaking is the dynamic of you and the world around you having a play, an interplay and an experience, you know, sounds traveling across the ether into your ear, the sun kissing your cheek and warming your skin, the wind brushing through your hair, or it could be looking at the sunlight bounce through someone else's hair or it could be someone walking past you in the street and then having a, a scent of sandalwood and lavender or something you know or, or geranium and just going oh what was that smell it was so beautiful that's love making right it's 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 the forms of the world 
in the play we call it Leela, the dance of the divine, you know, and, and this, this play being lovemaking. Well, I love all of that. I love all of that lovemaking and the, the appreciation and taking in of, of the world and using our senses. It is very romantic and it is, that is lovemaking. And it, it takes me back to one of the retreats I led in Costa Rica several years ago. I was in a group with all my women and this one woman that was usually pretty quiet. All of a sudden she looks at me and she's like, you gotta be in love. You are just beaming. And I'm like, actually, no, I'm super single. And she's like, how is this even possible? You're just radiating with love. I, I don't get it. And I'm like, really, I'm just in love with my life and with life in general. And I have this appreciation for, for the wind and for my friends. And, you know, it's a sense of wonderment and, you know, excitement and all the, the good things that life gives us. And I think when you, when one embodies that, that is beautiful in itself. And then, you know, we take that to the bedroom and that's, that's when the magic happens <laughs> to be yeah. able to be really present, especially, you know, when we we're speaking, you know, the sovereignty and being our own person and, and coming whole and complete into a interdependent relationship. Wow. That's, that's, that's next level lovemaking. I would put that on the, the conscious planet lovemaking. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it doesn't get talked about often, um, but it's worth exploring, you know, what does, what, what does the physicality of, of sexual union or lovemaking look like in a conscious experience? And, you know, me being a typical guy, I was very goal-oriented, you know, for many years. Just get to the goal as quick as possible, get to the goal as quick as possible. And I think as, um, as, as we find people wake up more, there's a move towards more of a tantric experience, which is less about the goal and more about the process and the journey because the goal is already to some degree already there in some heightened state of blissful euphoria. So if you, if you need to have some cataclysmic moment rubbing your two bodies together to get cataclysmic euphoria... But if you have already got some degree of that experience before you go into the to that rubbing two bodies, then then it's less about I need to get that agenda, that goal, and that outcome. It's more like how do I enhance what I'm already experiencing and share that with someone in an entwined movement that is 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 like enhancing, encapsulating, and and elevating what is already an experience that I'm bringing to this moment rather than I'm coming to this moment with not much of an experience, but I'd love to get something out of it. Let's just get down to it. And let's make this happen as quick as possible because I'm really wanting to get this high. And, um, you know, that's I, I, in, a, in the current world that we're in, let's just call it game A and game B. So this is a new terminology that's starting to emerge in the world. You can go to Wikipedia and just type in game B wiki. And there's a beautiful description of the world that we're moving towards, which is a very different world than the game A world. So we use the Sanskrit language of Kali Yuga and Sat Yuga, an era of ignorance and an era of awakening, or we're in era of consciousness. So these guys have used the more main, not guys as in these people that are part of an emerging conversation that's happening around the world, is what does a game B world look like, whether it's win-win, there's greater harmony, greater expression, and the point of the game is to keep playing the game rather than game A is to win the game. And so that comes down even to our sexual experience. Game A sexual experience is very different to a game B sexual experience. And so that's something that's starting to emerge over time. I love that. I love all of that. I love how you brought in the yugas. <laughs> <laughs> I just slipped them in there somehow. I, you think, you. The beginning. <laughs> I love that. That is, that is so beautiful. And you're speaking my language, the win-win. That is, that is so important. The, that having that attitude of we can all win. And I, I love the, I'm going to definitely do some research on the, the game B and I love that, that there, you know, there's possibilities for new ways of doing things. And I love that we talked about it today. 
And you've given me so much to, to, to think on with that concept as well, because being a dating coach, I've, I, I see the turmoil that is currently happening with, you know, people wanting to find love and wanting to be in relationships. And, you know, I, I, I work with all the stuff in the middle and, you know, <laughs> resolving conflict and working through traumas and issues and all this, all this fun stuff. And Tom, there's times that I've stopped and I'm like, okay, we're, we're in this rough place right now. And, you know, one of the biggest things I hear all the time is dating sucks, hard stop. And so I start contemplating, well, okay, it's, it's hard, but where are we going? And I love that we're having this conversation. Uh, I'm hoping that more people can start to visualize that. Where are we going? What are we creating? Because so many, I mean, there's a record number of single people on our planet. And people are, you know, as you're very aware of, are, are struggling with the several issues and they're looking for love and they're looking for companionship. And I, I would say uh, a call to action for myself and for everyone listening is let's envision what this place is like that we are going to this, this conscious planet, this, the relationships that are conscious and loving and that are win-win and that we can keep going. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, we're going to start to see an emergence of a new paradigms on every level. That's media, which we're seeing through social media, as opposed to magazines, radio, and TV. We're seeing uh, new forms of currency as we see cryptos coming in, new banking systems, new political systems, the undermining of old status quos in the game may world. And one of those systems that's going to change, which we haven't quite got what the new blueprint looks like, but that's relationships. And so you're going to find that we are going to have a lot more single people on the planet. We're going to have a lot less babies on the planet. We're going to find that that old Victorian model of meet someone at 25, get married, have lots of kids, get a mortgage, pay off the mortgage, and then retire. Um, that model is going to come under a lot of pressure as we wake up and have a different consciousness. Therefore, the way we build things and the things we, we operate within are going to shift as well. What the new relationship model looks like, people are exploring different alternatives. And I don't think we've come up with a happy medium yet, but knowing that three out of five marriages probably end up in divorce, it's probably fair to say that the current model isn't great at the moment. And what that new model looks like, I'm not quite sure, but we've kind of touched on a few things. And I think there's going to be a lot more freedom, but also a lot more open communication, a lot more coming from a place of being love, less of a place of needing love. And I think these are coming some of the starting shifts that we'll start to see emerging. Mm. Well, I'm so excited for that. I'm yeah. very excited, very excited to see that. And I love that you are, you are doing just so much good for this planet and for our society. So thank you so much. I could talk to you for hours and hours. <laughs> I have to come back some other time for sure. I would love that. I want to be respectful of your time. Any final thoughts, anything that you're super passionate about right now, what's been on your, your mind and your psyche, please share. Well, look, I mean, I think the one thing just to share with the listeners, and thank you for everyone who's joined us today, is that we're going through a really turbulent time. And, and when we have turbulence outside of us, it's easy to get sort of swept into that current, like a cork that's being thrown around in the wild seas of the ocean. And using two analogies, one is, yes, there might be wild seas on the surface of the ocean, but that's not the only quality of the ocean. If we're to transcend that surface of the ocean and go into the depths of the ocean, we'll find a deep stillness there, no matter how wild and turbulent the surface is. Just as within a tornado that's swirling around and throwing things all over the place. There's also a deep calmness in the middle of that tornado. And so it's important that we, we, we dedicate time each day to going within to that inner silence and inner solace. That's where our sanctuary exists and that's where we can find a sweet peace and serenity regardless of what's happening outside of us. And so that's the first point that we should be, you know, rather than going straight into Instagram, right, rather than going for our coffee, rather than going to see what's on the news, 
connect to that inner stillness. There's a, uh, you know, for, for me, there's a beautiful saying that I, I love. It's um, Yoga Star Kuru Kamani, established in being, then go and perform action and to connect to that stillness and silence. So we all have that within us. And so finding some way to meditate, whatever technique you're, you're resonating with or whichever technique you've found, but really incorporating that into a daily basis will make a huge difference in your experience of life and give you some sovereignty in the state that you're in rather than the state that the world's in. Mm, I love that. Oh, Tom, thank you so much. You are such a beautiful soul and you have so many resources for people. I mean, you, you have the amazing book and movie, The Portal. And did I get that right? You have six books out? Yeah, some of them are quite small books. We've got The Portal and then there's a, a book, uh, Path to Peace, uh, looking at um, the, th- the mechanics of evolution and change. And then there's the seven, the seven states of consciousness in spirit and soul. And there's a book on uh, overcoming anxiety, a book on overcoming insomnia. And there's a kid's book on um, called Missy Moo Meditates, which is a little girl that learns to meditate with her sister, which is kind of cool as well. Oh, that is so sweet. <laughs> yeah. You also have a coaching practice and lead retreats. Yeah, um, coaching and retreats is my, my my sweet spot. You know, we do sort of three to four, five retreats a year, usually ideally overseas, Bali, Greece, Dubai, but um, because of COVID, we're just doing them locally in Australia at the moment. So we've got another one coming up in October and we just had one a couple of weeks ago in Melbourne and then uh, coaching, which is working with conscious leaders and helping them to, yeah, to find their voice in the world, to get out of their way so they can start to realise and express their full potential. So I love working with conscious leaders and helping them, I guess, you know, uh, realise the, their, their importance and relevance and significance in the world. More than ever, right? Yeah, more than ever right now as we move into game B, Satyuga. <laughs> I love that. Oh, Tom, thank you again so much. It was such a pleasure having you on the Game of Love. And thank you to everyone who tuned in to listen to this episode. You can go to the show notes and you can find out where to reach Tom and enjoy all of his services, go on his retreat, watch his movie, all that good stuff. You can find it in the show notes. Again, thank you so much, Tom. Thank you, everyone who tuned in today. And until next time, get out there and love each other.